So this morning, I'm about to start a brand new series called Ordinary People. So what I want you to do is look at the person next to you and say, hi, ordinary person. (laughs) We've been on a journey ever since November. I really feel like God is moving powerfully in our church. And it all began back in November. And in November, if you remember, I did a series called Come and See. And that series bled into Advent. And we talked about what is it that people need to come and see here at the church? Well, it's Jesus, obviously, right? That he is the peace, he is the hope, he is the joy, he is the victory, and oh my goodness, he is coming back. So, that bled into what we started this year, the very first series I did called Extraordinary Things. That if Jesus is here in the church, and he is, as we just sang about him and how he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Well, then we expect, because he is God, that he's going to do extraordinary things, right? And so I talked about how, what are these extraordinary things? Well, we need to have the extraordinary mind of Christ. Like his ways and his thoughts are much higher than my thoughts and my ways. We need to have his mind. The word needs to be our our focus, our central point that we, we center ourselves on in our life. And I talked about how we need to have extraordinary faith. You know, Jesus said that, that God still does the impossible today. He removes mountains, right? But we need to have this mustard seed sized faith to believe that he still does that today. That is so important. Um, and then I talked about how we, as we face our mountains, that maybe sometimes we're not supposed to remove those mountains, have God cast them into the sea, but instead we're supposed to face them and begin the journey to hike them. And that starts with an extraordinary step. And that extraordinary step sometimes is very, very small, but God looks at it as being a big deal because we are taking a step of faith. And then last week, if you remember last week, I talked about how we need to have the understanding that we as believers have an extraordinary responsibility. And that extraordinary responsibility, just like Jesus, is we are not to quit, right? We are to lose our life for his sake, but also for ours. And what I said to leave you on on the last point that I made last week was, I said that it's not just about our lives that we want to save, that our mentality, if it's like Jesus, we need to understand that our lives are also a powerful witness for him and to him, that, that we want to save other people's lives by directing them to him so they can receive him as Lord and Savior and they themselves would also be saved. So the very last thing I said last week as I was dismissing you all is God will do the extraordinary things and very often it's through us, ordinary people. So ordinary people, hello ordinary people. Well, how does that make you feel when I call you ordinary? Kind of like this small, right? So yesterday my my wife and I, we were in Chick-fil-A. Oh yeah, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> uh, I don't even, uh, don't get me on a tangent. But we saw, we saw somebody, a well-known TV personality, I'm not going to say who it is, walked into the restaurant, we immediately recognized him, and he was with his wife and his children. And I, it's just, it's funny, you know, when you see people on TV a lot, and then you see them in person, it's kind of like this surreal moment, right? And so some of us would put, put this person up on a, on a pedestal. You know, they're, they're someone that's on TV, they're well-known, and, and, and they're, therefore they are not ordinary, they're extraordinary. And, and that's not the case because 
not that we were staring at them. I mean, I had my back, my back to them. Lisa actually was facing, facing them, but I could hear them telling their kids to be quiet and eat their food. You know, they're getting up and getting refills of their drinks, just like we all do. They're just ordinary people. But somehow we, the world, have placed them on this pedestal and said they're extraordinary. And I'm looking at a lot of people in here that, me included, we do the same thing, don't we? Like we have celebrities that we follow, maybe on social media. Somehow we look at them and we're like, man, those people are extraordinary. No, not really. No, I have had the privilege of meeting people that the world considers extraordinary. And what I find out is they're really just ordinary. They breathe, they eat, they sleep, they have lives just like all of us do. And I think since we have that mindset of ordinary versus extraordinary, I think we're just like the world. Like we have our our Bible heroes, right? That we kind of place on a pedestal. People like Paul, John the Baptist, who I'll talk a little bit about today. Uh, Jesus, he's the only one in the Bible we need to put on on the pedestal, right? So to speak. Um, But people like David, Moses, Joshua, who's one of my favorites, because he conquered the promised land. I'm a military guy, so I love that about Joshua. But somehow we we tend to put these people up on, on a pedestal and we say, other than Jesus, and we say, they are extraordinary. And we even look at some people that we're going to look at in the Bible here in the next couple weeks, and we look at them and say, well, they're ordinary. They're really not that important. Well, I will say what they are because their name is written in the Bible, okay? (laughs) They're pretty extraordinary, but, but we as believers will say, even they will look at me, you guys will look at me and say, well, you're the pastor of the church, so somehow you're above it's status that you're, you're not ordinary and we are ordinary. We're just the flock and you're the shepherd, and that's, that's baloney. I'm just as ordinary as you. And, and what I want to do is change your mindset because if I don't, if, not me, but if God does not change your heart and your mindset towards ordinary versus extraordinary, we will never do extraordinary things as a church. You got to quit believing that just because maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or because you're working a nine-to-five job that you clock in and out every day or, or because, you, you know, you do something that's, that's, that's not noticed by the world or noticed by other people that somehow you're just ordinary. Well, let me tell you something. You were bought with pay for the price. Jesus died for every one of us that's in this room and every one of us that's watching online. You're not ordinary. You're extraordinary in His eyes because when God sees you, the believer, He sees the Son, Jesus. So you got to get this, this mindset out of here that, that God is never going to use me because I am ordinary. That's baloney. He's going to, in these last days that we're in right now, I mean, the, the charge of this church is to get you guys in this mindset that, hey, hey, you know, God is going to use me to do some extraordinary things because you may not be David, but are you a man and woman after God's own heart? Well, hello, David. Okay? You may not be like Paul who was Saul that we're going to read about today, who had this incredible experience where Jesus appeared before him and and, and he was just like, oh my gosh, you are the real deal. And then all of a sudden he's going one way, but then God does a 180 on his life and he goes the other way and begins the church. How many of that in here, that explains our witness, our testimony? That we were going one way, Jesus showed up, whether it was through an extraordinary way or, or just He tapped on your heart and you received him, and now you're going 180 degrees the other direction. So you are extraordinary, and with that, I want to pray. 
because these people are going to be up here playing all day if I keep going. So, so Father, I just want to thank you so much for everybody that's in this room. Father, I thank you for the words that you have for me to give to everyone that's here this morning. I just ask that um, these words be encouraging. These words just just a lot of fire in every one of us that, that as we're going to read here today, that our heart attitude is going to be, yes, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. Do extraordinary things through me. Father, I also thank you for um, for all of us that gave in the offering today. I just want to pray over that offering and just thank you that um, as we sow this seed into your kingdom, as we sow um, our finances into your kingdom, whatever need that we have, and believe me, there is so much need today that we thank you that you meet it according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for all this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So if you would turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 today, I'm going to be in the ESV Bible. And I am going to talk about John the Baptist a little bit today before we get into our main ordinary person. John the Baptist, he did some extraordinary things. God used him to do extraordinary things. I mean, let's look at his spiritual resume. So if I were to pull up a, like a resume on John the Baptist, what would I see? And there's, there's so many things that I would see. Uh, number one, his mother, who was, as the Bible says, was old and barren. Oh, by the way, the angel Gabriel said that to Mary about him, that his mom was old and barren, miraculously conceived. And it was John the Baptist. And he was the one that was prophesied, oh, by the way, by Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 3, that he was the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way. That's John the Baptist. So how about that? Before you're even born 700 years earlier, somebody prophesied that you're going to be the one that prepares the way for Jesus. And then he actually, on his resume, actually does. Oh, let's go back to when he was a baby in the womb. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he actually did go out and prepare the way. And... and and he baptized so many people and told them they needed to repent for the kingdom of God is near. So this kind of sets, sets up this, this tone of where we're, where we're headed. And, and there's some things that John the Baptist says in this passage that I'm going to read that it, it are the, the ordinary heart attitudes that us as believers need to have so that God will do the extraordinary things through us. What you have to understand is that even though all these things were, were prophesied about John the Baptist and, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb and he did all these amazing things, there were heart attitudes that we don't even see or read about in the Bible that he had that I think most of us would consider, well, that's ordinary. That should be what every ordinary believer should do. But because he did them and they were his cross that he daily picked up and carried, that he was willing to lose his life, then God was able to take those ordinary heart attitudes and then do these extraordinary things through him. So we're gonna see here in a minute what those things are. So let's get into it because I feel like I could talk up here all day and we'll be here till, uh, till noon and you guys will hate me for it. So John chapter three, beginning in verse 22. The subheading, if you have an ESV translation, says John the Baptist exalts Christ. That should be one of the clues right here. Kind of the ordinary attitude of a believer is we should be exalting Jesus, right? Like what I said, he increases, therefore I must decrease. 
So this is what it says, after this, after what? After Jesus just had this nighttime interlude with Nicodemus to tell him, I am the way, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life because Nicodemus was, was seeking God and Jesus met him and, and showed him the way. So after this, Jesus <clears throat> excuse me, and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been in prison. So this sets us up that we're basically seeing this transition where John the Baptist actually did baptize Jesus. Heavens opened up, this is my son, this is God saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. It's like the baton was, was passed, right? And so John the Baptist is still out there, he's still doing his job, still preparing the way for the Savior. And this is basically setting us up that he has not yet been put in prison. So his ministry is just kind of starting to come to an end. Because in verse 25, this is what it said. Now, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. There's a discussion. So Jesus, just a little further down the river there, he's, he's baptizing people. And, and there's this, these other people, this is John and the disciples, his disciples, that were over here baptizing as well. And, and there's this discussion. And here's a discussion in verse 26. They came to John and said to him, uh, Rabbi, uh, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So this is kind of like, uh, hey, John, uh, that dude over there that you water baptized is basically stealing the show. So all the extraordinary things that God has been doing through you, well, he's trying to, to copy that right now. And John has a response. And this response, and what I'm going to read to you, is going to set us up for the next few weeks. Because what I want you to see here is his heart attitude, his, his ordinary, behind the scenes, not noticed attitude that we all should have. And if we have these things, and I'm going to go through one of them per week, then get ready. Because God will use you to do something extraordinary. So this is what he says. John answered, <laughs> a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. There's one right there. This knowing and understanding that whatever that you do for God that's extraordinary, the only reason why you can do it is because it was given to you by him from heaven. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. See, I, I'm, I'm telling you I'm going to decrease. I'm not the Christ. But I have sent, been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. That phrase right there, this joy of mine is now complete. He's basically said, I am a friend of Jesus. You know, I prepared the way for him. He is definitely the Christ. And now my mission and why I was here, why I was born in this world is now complete. And I rejoice in that. There was no, there was no hurt here. There was no, oh my gosh, you're right. You know, I'm getting upstaged. No, he was like, my joy is now complete. My job is done. 
And he says in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's the second thing that we need to get into our hearts that I'll talk about next week. Verse 31, he who comes at he who comes from above is above all. He who is of, earth, of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. But he who comes from heaven is above all. Translation, that guy that's down there that you're complaining about, that's baptizing people, he is the Christ. We need to go away and allow him to do what he's doing because he is above everything. He's above you, he's above me. And that heart attitude needs to be in our hearts as well. Because the world, let's be honest, the world is not having that attitude, right? Because we, especially here in the United States, we as Americans, I've said this before, we get so busy. Like, what, what becomes above Jesus in our life? Our jobs, our careers, even our families, which, hey, I'm not knocking. Family is so important, but in the scheme of things. He is above all. We place our problems above him. And what I'm saying here is we've got to make this this switch, not just in the mind, but in the heart. That, hey, he is the Christ. He has increased. I must decrease. He He is above all. All things. So this sets up the tone for this this ordinary system that we have fallen in because the world looks at us and says hey you're just another religion you're, you might as well just be like islam or hinduism or buddhism the world takes us and they, and they and they categorize us as just one of those ordinary religions and we're not we are the church and I think we get to this mindset, and it's almost pride in, in a reverse way, in, in, in a little bit, to where I think we think that pride is, well, look at me, you know, I'm a, all that in a bag of chips, you know? Well, well no, pride is, is not just that. It's also, I'm humble and meek, and I don't do anything for God because I am very humble, and God can't use me. And we got to get out of that mindset. I'm willing to admit my faults, say, I know, (laughs) look, Jeff knows Jeff, and God knows Jeff, but if I have these behind-the-scenes ordinary attitudes that we're going to talk about, that we're going to see today in one man who basically has eight verses dedicated to him in the Bible, if we can see this, this heart attitude that we consider ordinary, then all of a sudden, God's going to do extraordinary things through us. And the church is going to be alive. Amen. So in Acts chapter 9, that's where I'm going to be today. I know we're kind of bouncing around a little bit. But see, as I'm looking at John the Baptist, who we all consider extraordinary, I, I was just moved by these, these phrases that he would say when he was being basically pushed aside by Jesus. And rightfully so. Because that right there shows that man's heart attitude that it all began with this ordinary, humble time that he had with God in relationship that allowed God to do things extraordinarily through him. So in verse 9, we're going to talk about the conversion of Saul. So go to verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 in the book of Acts. 
It says the conversion of Saul, and I love this because here comes Saul. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. How many Star Wars fans I have in here? Yeah. This is like the emperor saying, wipe them out, all of them. This is Order 66. So Saul has pretty much successfully just persecuted the church in Jerusalem, and now he's like, I need to go to Damascus and take this mission that I have to persecute the church and continue it somewhere else. So here's this guy, and he is a, 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 a lunatic zealot wants to, to get these disciples, these, these people of the way, that's us, by the way, disciples, people of the way right here, uh, that he wants to get them and he wants to take them kicking and screaming back to Jerusalem and bind them up and put them in prison and maybe, just maybe even murder them. Here's this guy about ready to ravage the church in Damascus. And I love this. I, I could see God up there thinking, you know, I've had enough of this. We need to take this, this, this zealotry, this, this energy, and, and, and turn it around. So in verse 3, it says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus, by the way. Stepping in to defend his church. Stepping in to take this guy's life and change it forever. Verse five, and he said, that's Saul, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecuting. But rise and enter the day, or enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. This was an amazing encounter. I honestly think there's some people that are sitting on the fence of whether or not they're gonna trust Jesus or not based on having an encounter like this. God has to speak to me before I receive Jesus. Do you, do you remember the day you were saved? Can you go back? Because Paul, several times in the book of Acts, is going to testify to this day and to what happened. Like, he is able to drive a stake into the ground and say, you know what? One day when I was on the way to Damascus to persecute the church, Jesus appeared to me and I became a believer. Do you know the day and time that you received Jesus? I'm asking those that are online as well that are watching for the first time. Maybe you, you've never heard this message called the gospel. You don't know who Jesus is. Do you have a time that you can say, this was the day that I received him? Because Saul, who's about to become Paul, absolutely did. Verse seven, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So how many of you, when you're going through something extremely tough, okay, he just lost his eyesight to the glory of Jesus. We're going through something tough, or we're in a difficult time in our life, how many of us just quit eating? I mean, some of us eat more than we probably should during those times, right? But for Saul, he is at the lowest point. He doesn't even eat. He doesn't even drink. 
He is blinded. He needs Jesus to step in and heal him. And we're going to see this here in a minute. Verse 10. Now, I love this because we get through this amazing experience of, of Saul seeing Jesus and all this stuff going on. And it's like Luke, who wrote Acts, breaks in in verse 10 and says, Now, this is, where, this is where we come into play, okay? The disciples. This is where we come into play. Now, there was a disciple. How many disciples do I have in here of Jesus? Right here. So this is you. At Damascus, named Ananias. How would you like to be named Ananias at this time and belong to the church? Because four chapters earlier, there was this other Ananias and his lovely wife, Sapphira, <laughs> who lied about their offering and were, were, were slayed by God, and the young men carried them out and buried them, right? So if you're this Ananias, I bet you're confused with the other Ananias in the Bible that we are not going to talk about today except for what I just said. So there was this disciple at Damascus. So Damascus is where Saul is going to kill people in the church. And I guarantee you this man Ananias, because we're going to see here in a minute, and the whole church that belongs to Damascus is hearing that this guy is coming for him. Here comes this dude ready to carry out Order 66 on the church. So the Lord said to him in a vision, this is Jesus, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. There is no context here. He's just there. He's probably freaking out about his life and his his brothers and sisters in Christ in their life because they know Saul's coming. There's no context here. There's this dude named Ananias. And it says that Jesus himself gave him a vision. I I like to put my name in here and say, hey, disciple at Broken Arrow named, insert your name. And all of a sudden, bam, Jesus speaks to you and calls your name, calls you by your name. And Ananias' response is what I pray and hope all of our responses would be. Here I am, Lord. So it doesn't matter what you're doing in your life. I don't care if you're a student in a high school, student in college, a young adult, somebody who's on the verge of retirement, a stay-at-home mom, a nine-to-fiver, career corporate exec, I don't care who is, I don't care who you are. This could happen to you. And what's your response going to be? In verse 11, but wait, before I get to verse 11, who else had this response? Here I am, Lord. See, Ananias immediately moves from no-name dude in the Bible with eight verses dedicated to him in, in the book of Acts in chapter 9 to the, almost to the level of Isaiah, who said this, right? To Joshua, to Moses, to Jacob. All of the people that we consider heroes in the Bible have all said the same thing. 
So the moment that Jesus calls us and says your name and says you to do something and you're like, here I am, Lord, you just join an incredible company of people that are really ordinary people, but they have the hard attitude that I am here, ready to do whatever it is that you ask me to do. And then God is gonna do something extraordinary through you. So in verse 11, and the Lord said to him, and this is what the extraordinary thing is, that he's going to tell him to do. Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. He might. I was just wondering, what does that mean? He might. Like, you're telling me to lay hands on somebody and you're saying he might receive his healing. Doesn't make sense to me. No, it's very clear. He's saying that a man named Ananias will go and do that. In other words, Jesus is basically saying here, I'm leaving that decision up to you. I'm telling you, this is what you need to do. It might happen, but you gotta get up and do it. That's that extraordinary faith that I talked about. That's that taking that extraordinary step. Because let me tell you something, Saul, for the church in those days, was the mountain. So this normal guy, this ordinary guy, is about ready to take this extraordinary step, which is a big leap in God's eyes, to do this thing. So the might is going to become, it will happen, because listen to this, and I love this, verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind them all who call on your name. I think for those of us that know this story, I think a lot of us criticize Ananias for this. This guy has no faith. This guy's chickening out. Like he's about ready to go on the field of battle and he is scared to death. And I look at this and what, what pricked my heart was, this is relationship right here. See, I think, I think a lot of us don't want to say, here I am, Lord, use me, because they are afraid of what God is going to ask them to do. What, you want me to go pray for that person? Yeah, no. See, Ananias was comfortable enough in his relationship with Jesus to say, yeah, but this is going on and give me some encouragement, please. It's okay. I think, I think we, we get so wrapped around this religious mindset that, that it's like you gotta be a good soldier and say, yep, here I am, Lord. Roger that, I'm out. It's okay to be confident in your relationship with him to say, you know what, this is what I'm feeling. This is the situation, even though you know that he knows all that, but to be able to talk it out. That's basically what they're doing. They're having a conversation here. And this is what Jesus said in verse 15. He says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake 
of my name. Wow, goes back to what I said last week, that we gotta lose our life to save it. We gotta lose our life for Jesus' sake. He's basically saying, this man's gonna do that. And I'm calling on you to make that contact with him. So this is awesome. So the might became, it will happen. Because in verse 17, the Bible says, so Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So this ordinary man, Ananias, was used to basically lay hands on the greatest enemy of the church. And because he did that, you and I are sitting in this room today. Because as the Bible says, Jesus said that he was going to go and go before the Gentiles. And that's what we are. The gospel is brought to us because this ordinary man, for whatever reason, had this ordinary attitude that I can't do what you're asking me to do. But I know that God, if you said it, then it will be done. That's the first attitude. That's what John said. He said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Well, Jesus at this point has ascended into heaven. He is telling Ananias, I'm giving you this gift of healing. You will go forward and do this. And Ananias basically said, I can't, but I know in my heart that you can. That's the ordinary heart attitude that we must have. Because let me tell you something, God is gonna ask us to do things that we're gonna be like, I can't do that. And what I am saying to you all, it's okay to have that dialogue with him, but then it's time to put on the big girl and the big boy pants on and do it. And as long as you know that you can't do it, but he can, then watch the extraordinary happen. Because every week I get up here, whether it's good or bad, I'm going to share this with you. What has kept me grounded is out of the book of Zechariah, where I say verbatim before I step foot on this platform, it is not my will, but your will be done. But I also say out of Zechariah that it is not by my power, nor my strength, nor my own might, but it's by your spirit I'm able to do anything. I am constantly having to ground myself in that ordinary Christian heart attitude because I so badly want God to do something extraordinary through me that I I want to see the people that can't walk, walk. I want to see the, the heart things that are going on inside of you that I don't know about, that nobody knows about probably, but just you lift. That, that I want to see you all on fire. And the only way that we're ever going to get to that point as individuals 
is if we have this mindset, this expectation that I'm going to be doing my life just like Ananias was doing. And when Jesus calls my name by the power of the Holy Spirit or shows up or audibly speaks to me, then my attitude is going to be, here I am, Lord. What are you going to ask me to do? Okay, well, I can't, but I know you can't. And then you move forward and you do it. Because look what happens in summary here. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. And immediately, this is, this is Saul, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So Saul is moving into this next heart attitude that's considered ordinary that I'm gonna talk about next week. He is basically saying, I was wrong. I was wrong. And Jesus obviously is right. He became obedient. He decreased from his former ways because Jesus increased in his life. And then he started to carry out the mission of the church. And thank God for it, because like I said, We're all here today because of that. 